At the beginning of a new year, there's all this talk about resolutions. Nobody talks about resolutions in the middle of August, right? It's not an issue. Why? It's, I mean, you can make a, a turning point in your life at any time, but there's a time at the beginning of the year that for some reason, this date on a calendar and one number changing to another changes everything, and we say, oh, I need to focus on my life. And now's as good a time as any time. So what I want us to do as a church is to say, are we staying focused? But the way we do that is by individuals of the church staying focused in our own lives. So as the church stays focused, we stay focused as individuals. As we as individuals stay focused, the church stays focused. It all works together. And these things that we're going to talk about, our mission, our core values, it's not just about you know, leadership. It's not about a, a leadership board. It's, it's about us as individual followers of Christ. So I want this to be sort of a checklist for you to look at your own life in 2016 and say, am I staying on track? Am I keeping my life on track with these guardrails that we're going to express through the mission statement and core values? Last time we preached on this was about three years ago. We looked at these and I did a series on the mission statement and the core values. Uh, and I, I couldn't think of a better way to start, honestly, than this illustration of the guardrails that I used then. I racked my brain to think of what's something else that's similar. And this is such a good illustration for our own lives of keeping ourselves on track. Imagine, if you will, it's late at night and you're driving in your car. And you go along the highway and you're getting a little sleepy and you just want to get to wherever you're going. And you start hearing a faint rumbling. Rum, 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 rum. Think, what? That's just annoying. You go a little farther, it's getting louder. Rum, 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 rum. Like, ah, that's obnoxious. Now, if you know when you're driving down the highway and you start to veer off a little bit and you cross that side line, there's rumble strips there. And those rumble strips are to wake you up and to say, hey, <laughs> caution, something's going on. But let's say you're going and you just want to get where you're going and you don't like the noise. You think that's obnoxious. I know what will fix this. Click, turn on the radio and crank it up really loud. Done. Problem solved. Now you don't have to listen to the obnoxious rumbling that's going on. A little while later, out your passenger window, you see sparks flying up into the sky. Well, that's annoying. I've got sparks coming off my car now. I don't want to see the sparks. Now, again, you can imagine where these are coming from. The car is starting to rub up against the guardrail. You think, I, I, just, I don't need to see sparks, so you grab your sunglasses and you put them on. Perfect. Problem solved. No longer have to worry about the sound or the, the sparks. And then as you're driving, you, you sense that the car keeps pushing to the left a little bit. Well, that's frustrating. I want to go to the right. I want to go where I want to go. I have the right to do it. And you grab your steering wheel and you yank it to the right. And there's this enormous screeching and crunching. And then there's absolute peace and quiet until your car hits the bottom of the ditch. And you just went right through the guardrail. Now, hopefully, as you're hearing this, you're thinking, well, that's just absurd. Who would do that? I mean, if you heard the rumbling and you saw the sparks and you saw the guardrail and you're pushed, of course you would go back the other way. But what about in our own lives? 
How many times in our own life does God send the rumble strip and say, hey, wake up here. Wake up. You're crossing a boundary. You're going somewhere you shouldn't be going. Your life's getting off track. You're falling into a rut. And we say, oh, I'm just going to turn up the music of my life a little bit louder. I'm just going to get a little more busy. We see the sparks flying off. We know we're in trouble. And we say, I'm just going to put on the sunglasses. I don't want to see it, God. I don't want to deal with this. We come up against those guardrails. We say, oh, I want to go where I want to go. Sounds silly when you're talking about driving a car, but I don't think it's so silly when we talk about our own lives. I also don't think it's that unusual, unfortunately. So today, as we look at our mission statement and core values, I want you to think about your own life. Where are you hitting up against those core values or hitting up against those guardrails in your own life? And how can we make sure that we have these guardrails in place in this year to keep us on track in our life with Jesus Christ. So I want to start briefly by looking at our mission statement. This is what forms the core of who we are as Orchard Community Church. If you've gone through the membership process, hopefully you've seen this, but this is who we are. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. Great, powerful words. I love our mission statement. Fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to fill these pews. That is not our goal. Never has been, never will be. Our goal is to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So we want people to come, to come to know Christ and to grow in Christ. We don't want spectator Christians because God doesn't want spectator Christians. God has more to show you about his love and his grace and his mercy. So we want to keep growing in that. But how do we do that? How do we know if we're staying on track with this mission? And that's where the core values come in. We have nine core values as a church. We are passionately God-centered, dependent on God, rooted in the word of God. We believe in grace-driven transformation, becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, uh, committed to one another, actively serving, intentional outreach, and authentic and passionate worship. We are not going to cover all of these today. (laughs) We're going to do some today and some next week. But these form things that as a church, we get to sit down and evaluate as we will be in the beginning of this year and say, okay, how are we doing? How are we staying on track with this? And I'll tell you, I have another reason for preaching this series. Because at the end of January, on January 31st, you are going to have a chance to approve of the first group of elders this church has ever had. That's a big deal. And I want to set us up, as we walk toward that day, I want to set us up to be able to make sure that we're all, according to God's word, saying, yes, this is how I'm going to evaluate whether or not somebody should be an elder. Is this person in step with God's word? So we're going to talk about our mission statement and core values today and next week. We're going to talk about spiritual leadership in general. What does that look like? And then we're going to talk uh, on the 31st specifically about what does it mean to be an elder. These are all things we've covered before, but it's time to remind ourselves of them. And I want you to prayerfully consider as we walk toward that day, pray for these guys. Pray for the process. Pray for that day that we would show an immense sense of unity and being led by God and having the faith to follow. To say, God, help us to do this according to your word and to do this correctly. So let's look at these core values today. 
Because I want you also not only to leave here thinking about the elders and praying for that, but I want you to leave here today thinking about your own life and saying, how am I doing in these areas? Am I staying on track? So I've organized these into two groups. Uh, one day somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love others. So I've kind of roughly divided these into those two categories. I don't know if you can see that. But the green ones are basically loving God. And the blue ones are how we can love others. We're going to talk about the green ones today. We're going to talk about the blue ones next week. It's a little artificial. Because the way that you can best love somebody else is by pointing them to the love of God. And the way that you can best point somebody to the love of God is by loving God wholeheartedly yourself. So I don't want you to think of these as completely opposite or completely separated. And as we go through, you might say, well, that one he's talking about is really more about loving somebody else. That's great. And that is the way it works. But for simplicity's sake, uh, and so that I don't have to cover all nine in one sermon, we're going to break them up into two groups. I maybe could have tried to break them a little more evenly, but this is what we've got. So let's walk through these. What does it mean to be passionately God-centered? Now, this wording underneath it comes from our core values. Again, when if you join the church as a member, we give you a, a statement. I think it's out in the foyer. It might be in the uh, the thing with the, the travel mugs that we give away to gifts. But it explains what we mean by this. We are passionate about putting God at the center of everything we do as a church and as individuals. We strive to draw attention to the greatness of God and to glorify him in what we do, say, think, and plan. We will be bold in declaring our love for God, giving thanks for his many blessings, and making known and remembering what he has done. Are you passionately God-centered in your own life? If people were to think about you, if your family and friends were to think about you, would they say you're passionately God-centered? That God is the focus? Would they say that about us as a church One of these uh, verses that's listed there at the bottom, Psalm 115, verse 1, not to us, O Lord. And I like that start. God, help us to not make this about us. I don't want it to be about us. Not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory. Boy, that's a great way to wake up every morning. God, not to me. Don't make today about me. Don't allow me to make today about me. This is for your glory. May everything I do today be for your glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do in your day-to-day life, do it for the glory of God. When you wake up in the morning and you're getting breakfast ready, do it for the glory of God. When you're taking care of your kids, do it for the glory of God. When you're at work doing those menial things, things that you hate to do, but you just got to get them done. Stop and say, God, I want to bring glory to you even in this. May we bring glory to God in everything that we do. It's one of those guardrails because if we get outside of that, we are making it about ourselves. And it's very easy to do that as a church. It's extremely easy to do that as individuals. So we've got to say, am I making this all about God, is my focus on him and not on me? Am I considering my day-to-day life belonging to God or am I considering it belonging to me? Are we considering this church to belong to God or to belong to us? Our focus needs to be on God.
And if our focus is passionately God-centered, then we need to be dependent on Him. We say in our core values, we are committed to daily intimate fellowship with God. Through steadfast prayer, we glorify God by honoring His name, seeking His kingdom, and submitting to His will. It is our individual and corporate responsibility to ensure that all aspects of life, ministry, and fellowship are preceded, undergirded, and empowered by prayer. We believe that nothing of lasting value will be will happen apart from the dependent and faith-driven prayer. Do we depend upon God in our day-to-day life? We talk often about having a prayer time. If you're in our small groups or Sunday school class, or, or hopefully you hear it in, in sermons from time to time, we talk about, are we spending time in prayer? And it's good to carve out time at the begin, beginning or end or both of your day, but it's also good throughout the day depending on God constantly. And prayer becomes sort of the breathing of that inward idea. Am I depending on God? I'm going to pray. I've got a meeting coming up. I'm going to pray. I've got a phone call I've got to make. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see my neighbor on the street. I'm going to pray. I'm going to the grocery store. Maybe I'll run into somebody I can share Jesus Christ with. I'm going to pray. If we are dependent upon God, the outward expression is a life of constant prayer. Ephesians 3.20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What if we really believed and lived in day-to-day recognition that God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, is powerfully at work in us? What if we really lived every day believing that? I think it would change our attitude. I think it would change our actions. But I hope it would also drive our prayer. God, you're already at work. Help me to join you in what you're doing. Help me to see what you're doing. Help me to live according to what you are doing. If in our church and in our lives we think that everything is up to us, we're going to depend upon ourselves. But if we understand it's all about God and dependent upon God, we're going to desperately depend upon Him in every situation. And when we do that, God gets the glory. We depend upon Him. But how can we make sure that we really are centered on God and depending on Him instead of just doing it ourselves? Which leads to the next one. Rooted in the Word of God. If we're not rooted in the Word of God, we are getting off track without even realizing it. Hebrews, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. Well, let's read this first. We are committed to God's Word as our exclusive foundation. I like that phrase, exclusive foundation. The Bible is our reference point for truth. All teaching, practice, and life transformation is shaped by God's truth as revealed in the Scriptures. We will devote ourselves to preaching, teaching, and applying God's Word. Normally on Sunday mornings, I start my sermons by saying, open your Bibles too. And I give you a passage. And we camp out in that passage. And we walk through that passage. We have a a class right now on Job, walking through the book of Job. We have a class walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We do this in our day. And then we have others that do topical studies, but driven by Scripture. Why? Because this is God's Word. If we're not focusing on God's Word and letting it inform us and drive us, then I guarantee we are focusing on our own preferences and our own baggage is coming in and shaping that. 
So we have to ask ourselves in our day-to-day lives, are we rooted in the Word of God? Are you, in 2016, going to spend time in God's Word? Are you going to be rooted there? Sink your roots down deep. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is going to equip you through His Word for the things that God's going to bring into your day later on. God equips us through His Word. So in those times when we say, well, I'm not able to do this, I can't share Christ, I can't teach somebody, I'm not a good witness, we have to stop and say, well, am I spending time in the Word of God? Because that's where God is equipping us. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's powerful. That's powerful. I think in our lives, we're constantly looking for an edge. We're constantly looking for that win, that way to get a leg up. And and God's Word says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's living and active. And yet, how often do we read it and go, well, that doesn't apply to me, and we leave it on the shelf and we walk away. What if in faith we say, I may not see how it applies to me, but I will trust it does. And so I'll keep going. And I guarantee if you do that, you will see, maybe not in a couple days, maybe not even in weeks or months, but you will see over the course of a life shaped by and informed by the Word of God, you will be able to say amen to Hebrews 4.12 and say, it is alive and active. I've seen it in my own life. God's Word has shaped me. Our ideas, our opinions have to always be held with humility. As a church and as individuals, it's easy to have our mindset of where the road should go. And guard, God has put guardrails in place saying, no, no, this is where my will is leading. And we know that according to his will. When we live life according to God's word, we will also live a life of worship. Like prayer, worship is this response. It's, a, it's an attitude, it's an action, it's a response to who God is and what God is doing. And so we say as a church, we believe in authentic and passionate worship. And this is my prayer for us this year, along with all the rest of this, but that we as individuals would live lives of authentic and passionate worship. That doesn't mean you're waking up every day going, oh God, I just praise you so much. I want to praise you. And we're going around our day just, I want to praise you. I'm praising God. Woo! Praise Jesus. I'm worshiping. Or you're busting out in song, Jesus Messiah. You know, and your coworkers are going, would you be quiet? That's not a life of worship. Okay, We've so limited worship to what we do on Sunday morning, to singing, praying, and and listening to sermons or studying God's Word in a Sunday school class. Worship is the response of our heart to who God is. It's living our lives every day saying, God, I'm doing this for you. Whatever it is, God, I'm doing this for you. You have saved me, so I will live for you. That's worship. Might it be singing? Absolutely. Might it be going to work? Absolutely. Might it be changing a diaper? Absolutely. Might it be taking out the trash? Absolutely. Wait a minute, that thing is worship? Absolutely. Think, who gives you the breath to draw that allows your body to function during that moment of whatever it is? God. Who saved you from death by giving his son to die on the cross so that you could do whatever that is? 
God. So you can do all things to glorify God. Living a life of worship. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. This is just one example of many throughout Scripture that declares we exist to worship. One of the things that's helped me in this is a recognition that God doesn't need me. God doesn't need me. There's a lot of things in Scripture about God wanting us to share our faith, God wanting us to shape and fashion a church, God wanting us to be good parents, good husbands, wives, workers, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, ultimately, those things are not said because God needs us. God didn't wake up one day as he was kind of, you know, putzing about in eternity and go, man, I'm really just bored and lonely. I think I'll create Adam and Eve. He didn't need us. He created us to worship him because we need him. So then every day becomes an opportunity to worship. Not an obligation, not a desperation. Man, if I screw this up, the whole universe is going to fall apart. I've got to do this for God. And God's going, no, actually, I've got this. What if instead we say God does have this? I get to just show up and see what he does through me. I get to worship him through what I do. Authentic, real, meaningful, passionate, felt deep in the core of our being. Authentic and passionate worship. When we focus on worship and everything we do, then we understand that it's only God who bring about, can bring about this attitude in others. I can't beat you into submission and cause you to be an authentic and passionate worshiper of God. I've got to believe in and trust in grace-driven transformation. Now, this is one that I'm always tempted to move into the loving others because it really falls there as well. But I think we also need to apply it to ourselves. We need to trust in God's grace-driven transmission or uh, transformation in our own lives. That God is at work. That he is changing us from the inside out. Because as much as it's important that we talk about applying grace to others, and that's good, we need to talk about that, Sometimes I think we also need to be reminded to apply grace to ourselves. Because we can look at our lives and say, well, I'm not where I should be. I should be so much farther in my, my faith. I should know more scripture. I should know. And those things are good. But when it turns to this oppressive guilt, God can never love me. Look how awful I am. That's not God. That's Satan using those things to say, yep, God can't love you. God can't use you. Grace-driven transformation says God knows my faults. He can use me anyway, and along the way, he will never leave me the same as I am now. He will change me. Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What a promise. Paul writes that to the church in Philippi. But I think it applies to individual Christians as well. God's saying, I started something in you. I sent my son to die on the cross from you. I rose him from the dead, promising eternal life to you if you would believe. Do you think I'm going to stop there? Would I give so much just to give up on you? And the answer is, of course not. So wherever you are, whatever guardrail you're smacking up against this morning, and you're looking at your life going, oh man, I don't know how to live on track in 2016. I want you to hear grace. God's grace is there. 
But I also want you to hear transform. His grace will change you. It will root out those things in our lives. We can't just keep hitting against the guardrail. At some point, that guardrail starts to turn us. And that's hard. It can be a painful process. The church belongs to God. We grow and mature together corporately and individually as a church because of God's grace and transformation in our lives. And as we trust in that transforming grace and God changes us, we become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's our goal. So any day that you can wake up and say, yep, I am absolutely 100% a fully devoted follower of Christ. There is nothing in my life that's out of line with God or out of line with Christ. There is every aspect of my heart is completely aligned with Jesus Christ, his person and his will, and I live every day for his glory. If you can say that, you have arrived. But I can tell you with absolute certainty, you will never get there, the sight of heaven. And I don't say that to make us feel bad. I say that because God's calling is so great It's only in eternity it's going to work out completely. But in the meantime, we get to live every day as an adventure going further in our relationship with Jesus Christ, getting to know him more and more. Sometimes people stop in their relationship with Christ. They put the Bible on the shelf. They quit going to church. They they quit witnessing. They quit gathering with other believers. And and sometimes we want to come to them and say, oh, you're a horrible Christian. You should do these things because good Christians do these things. And, and shame, 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 shame. And you know, there's maybe there's a time and a place for that. But you know what I like to think? And this is what I try to tell myself in those moments of struggling. I say, Dave, you're missing out. God has something more for you. And by leaving your Bible on the shelf, you're missing out. By not being obedient to him in this area, you're missing out on something phenomenal that God wants to show you and to use you. I personally find that much more motivating than, wow, you're such a horrible Christian. Get your act together, you loser. When I hear there's something better and by stopping here, I'm missing out, man, I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. So I'm telling you in 2016, keep going. Be a fully devoted follower of Christ. We see discipleship as a church as a lifelong commitment to follow Jesus as we increasingly strive to learn from him and obey him, abide in him, sacrifice for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. We will live our lives, out our lives, and give our resources to Christ for the expansion of the kingdom. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. This is such a challenging passage. Throughout the gospels, Jesus calls people. He says, come follow me. Throughout the gospel, he also tells them what's going to come along with that. Some of the sacrifices, some of the difficulties. Listen to what he says here. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. Those are strong words. Being a fully devoted follower of Christ is hard. God's grace is at work. He's doing it. He's transforming us. But it takes daily conscious attention to say, I will follow Christ. I will not allow myself to slip to the right or to the left. I will follow Jesus Christ. Faith is hard work. Oh, it's easy to slip into trusting something else. 
And when we miss this, we'll settle for being better than others. We'll settle for comparing ourselves to other people and saying, well, am I doing well because I'm doing better than so-and-so? Look at how little they read their Bible. Look how many more Bible studies I go to. That's not the way to judge ourselves. We should look at Christ and say, am I more like Christ today than I was yesterday? Am I more like Christ this year than I was last year? I want to keep on going. So look at these core values. Six of them. Passionately God-centered. Dependent upon God. Rooted in the Word of God. Trusting and believing in grace-driven transformation. Becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. Authentic and passionate worship. These are guardrails for us as a church that we've identified according to God's Word. But I want to ask you this morning, how are you doing in these areas? Is there some area in these six things in 2016 that you need to say, you know what, I need to come back in line with that. I'm bumping up against that guardrail. I'm hearing the rumble strips. I'm seeing the sparks fly. God's warning me and I just keep on pushing. Come back. Say, God, I want to live this mission with you of being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Come back. And let us as a church help you. If there's a specific area, something we can help you with particularly, let us know. Get involved in a Sunday school, a Bible study, a midweek study. I know life is busy. Life will always, always, always be busy, period. The question is, what are we going to focus on? Because the school calendars, the work calendars, Our social lives, oh, they'll keep putting other guardrails in our life. And their goal is not to keep you on track with Jesus Christ. I'm not saying their goal is necessarily to divert you from it, but their goal is not to keep you on track. God's word is. So we need to evaluate those things through this and not the other way around. Instead of calling these core values, I want to think about them as guardrails. And so in our lives in 2016, as a church and as individuals, I want us to make sure we're building these into our lives so we know if we're staying on track. And in a few weeks, when you're asked and called upon to vote on these elders, whether you think these are the men that God has for us as a church, I want you to evaluate them on these core values. Do I see these things in their life? That they are truly, passionately loving God. Now, will they be perfect? Absolutely not. Nobody is. In fact, anybody that thinks they're doing these perfectly is probably a really good sign that something's off kilter somewhere because we're not being honest with ourselves. Are we staying on track? And what can we do in 2016 to build these guardrails into our lives?